For everything Buccaneers, it, 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 it's Jolly Rogers and Touchdowns. Now, now, here's your hosts, Casey Hudson and Kaylee Mizell. What's up, football fans? Welcome to Jolly Rogers and Touchdowns, an Odyssey original podcast that brings you all Tampa Bay Bucks insight and entertainment multiple times a week. So how do you keep up with all the excitement going on in Jolly Rogers and Touchdowns and, well, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? You download the Odyssey app. You search Jolly Rogers and Touchdowns. You hit that auto-download button so that you can stay up to date on all the fun, all the excitement, all the new episodes, and it's off-season, guys. So there's so much information. I promise you that you're going to want to keep your finger on the pulse with. I'm Casey Hudson, joined by my co-host and producer, James Jackson, back on it. And it's time for us to sail into a brand new episode of Jolly Rogers and Touchdowns. Good morning. I almost said good afternoon, James. It's been a long time. What's up? We were just talking about the lack of caffeine or the need for more. At this point, somebody can just inject it in my veins. That's where yeah. I'm at in the beginning of this off season. Well, well, <laughs> Casey, I don't know if you, I don't know if you provided our listeners with the context of everything. Our, our Jolly Rogers fans, we have to give Casey a big clap because all the caffeine oh, users out there know that, like, if you've been surviving on caffeine for your pretty much your entire adult life, and then you go cold turkey for like 30 days, most of us wouldn't survive that. Our Commander in chief on Jolly Rogers and touchdowns here, Casey Hudson, has lived to tell that tale. And that is something that that we will, I will keep your story alive for generations to come, Casey, because that's a testament to to the hard things. You can do the hard things in life. You really can. It's a lot of mental fortitude. I would have cracked day four, I would have cracked and wouldn't have got me the largest coffee I could find. So, you know what? I wanted it. Kudos to you. And then the balloons to to you. The balloons. I appreciate that. That's so heartwarming because to also smell caffeine and and coffee and to be the kind of person that actually enjoys the taste of coffee to smell that and know like, no, can't touch it. Can't have it. Can't use it for, to help me open my eyes a little bit more because Jolly Roger fans, the toothpicks that I have needed to uh, borrow to open up these eyes for all the things it's just it's been an adventure so thank you for that i'm back on the caffeine haven't have not been more excited and i was telling james at this point my body's like what is this we don't want this in our body i'm like yes we do Mm -hmm. you need to just accept it embrace it you gotta tell the body to suck it up because yeah we you know this this is what we were powered on for years so we gotta get back to it yeah it's gotta get back to it all the way back in and especially after the weekend i had with zero sleep I need all the caffeine. And before we dive into a full long weekend of hockey, we are going to get you guys all the information regarding the Bucks. So, mm-hmm. Jolly Roger fans, Tampa Bay Bucks fans, as you all know, the unfortunate end of the season was a few weeks ago. Championship weekend just passed to give you guys a timestamp of what's going down in the NFL. And in the midst of all of that, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, still have nine vacancies to fill on their coaching staff. And what James and I wanted to do, what would have been ideal is that we were hopping on here, getting all the good vibes going and telling you guys that the Bucks landed. Mm. That's not the conversation we get to have this morning. Because I wish. The Bucks have selected <laughs> no one. The carousel keeps singing and turning. And so the updates that we have for you are all of the uh, potential candidates 
aside from the ones that have recently got hired that have come in and had discussions for the offensive coordinator position that Byron Leftwich was alleviated of, I think as of January 19th, if I'm being specific. So uh, Bucks interviewed Bengals OC Dan Pitcher, like his name, I could say it, that works. Um, thoughts on the Bengals OC, James, uh, or more so, you know, the Bengals offense and any potential of what could translate over to the Bucks if that was an option. So you look at what the what the Bengals offense has been able to do the last couple of years, and you simply look at it and say, whoever has been a part of that success, maybe the captain of that success from a coaching staff standpoint, I want that person on my team. Now, we know that Zach Taylor runs a lot of the offense over there with Cincinnati, so I'd be interested to see, you know, what their OC brings to Tampa Bay and what he can kind of prove that he's done with Joe Burrow in that offense. But there's, right. besides the capability maybe of their running backs and and, and when Leonard and, and, Rashad, and Rashad White are fully healthy and capable, maybe they can kind of replicate what Joe Mixon and Samaji P. Ryan do over there. But I, I would say... From a wide receiver and, and tight end standpoint, I think the Buccaneers can look similar on paper to what the Bengals, you know, provide. A great one-two punch-up receiver, a good third wide receiver when you talk about Tyler Boyd and Russell Gage. Tight ends that can do multiple things. Talk about Hayden Hurst over there for the Bengals and then Cam Brayton, Kate Otten over here for the Bucs. So I think the Buccaneers are looking at just kind of that core. I have a, a pocket, a very good Pocket and progression quarterback and Joe Burrow. I, I got the best pocket and progression quarterback of all time over here. And Tom Brady crosses fingers if, if he stays. Um, but <laughs> I, I think statement. bold statement. But I think going and and getting a, a good and high level OC is preparing for Tom Brady to stay. Um, I think the Buccaneers right. are just we're still kind of operating in that. We talked about that last episode of how we're just going to kind of live in that twilight and hope and toxic. And, yeah, well, and, and prepare <laughs> for everything for him, right? So that we're they're still on that. So from that standpoint, I like it and and I'm good with it. And we, Casey, you and I were kind of talking off camera and I'm interested to get your perspective on this too. This is kind of one of the few candidates that the Buccaneers have come forward with who's already an established OC. We see a lot of candidates that the Buccaneers have had. um, We've seen a, a lot where they're position coaches. Right, they're position mm-hmm. coaches who are looking for that first coordinator shot. That we nice see wide receiver coaches, offensive line coaches, running basketball, whatever the position is, um, getting elevated. So, what what's your kind of thought on that? Are you excited to see guys getting a shot? Would you rather go out them go out and get an established OC? Like, where where do where do you lie on that? See, this is a tough one for me because if there's one thing in the last year and a half between the coverages that I do, not only in NFL, but in NHL, I've noticed that those, I don't, that those diamonds in the rough opportunities turned out to be worthwhile, you know, so the guys who have been assistant coaches for so long, they, they absorb the knowledge, they absorb the perspective to orchestrate and piece together a, a formidable team or a team that's going to be formidable within a reasonable span. So especially being in this industry, you want people to get a chance. That's what everyone's working and building their resumes for. I would just have to know, you said something really key. While they're position coaches of very specific things like passing game and, and stuff like that, I would just like to know how in depth or how involved in the conversations they were with the offensive coordinator, with the head coach, because the biggest thing is trusting somebody to 
make a decision confidently, stand by it, take accountability. There's a lot of big characteristics here that have to come into this Bucks organization because nothing against Byron Leftwich, but what they lacked with Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich this season was not the giant umbrella, was not only the giant umbrella of a lack of accountability, but it was the decisiveness. It was the confidence. So my only hesitation with bringing somebody in who's going from being a position coach to an OC, as much as I want somebody to get that opportunity, I don't think the Bucks organization is the right organization and it's not the right time. They already kind of took that chance with Byron Leftwich. They already kind of took that chance. They're still taking that chance with Todd Bowles because Bowles has this, you know, Jets head coaching situation still kind of looming over his head. Fans were excited mm. about Bulls in the beginning, and then that excitement fell off come week six because the team wasn't making any progress. They weren't able to turn things around. They weren't able to clean up their mistakes. They had an entire season of just committing the same felonies on the field, and I call them felonies because they were just tremendous uh-ohs that they could not get past. Not uh-ohs. Oh, man. Beyond not- that. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was criminal to watch some of the football that we watched but the Bucks put on this season and the blame game got old. There was just so many things that got so exhaustingly old, not only for fans, but for media and even the players, I'm not even taking it away from the emotional roller coaster. The players had to be on all that to say a potential, possibly good situation doesn't seem like a fit. And from the conversations I've had the last few weeks since the season ended, some a lot of people are still convinced that they're not ready to go into a full rebuild here. Mm-hmm. First of all, they can't really afford it. The Bucks cap space situation is pretty dark. And so if you know you can't afford to really lean into a full rebuild, then you're back in another plug and play situation, which means you need experience, you need confidence, you need decisiveness, you need somebody who you can actually sit in that situation, give all the reins to say, here, run this team like a well-oiled machine and step back. And passing coaches are not it for me. Yeah. You also said something else that I love, though, James, after that whole rant. Um, It's the fact that a guy who has experience, OC, Dan Pitcher, you know, you're coming from a team that played in the Super Bowl last year, uh, had a great shot this year. And even before that, a lot of what's kind of hindered the Bengals hasn't been play calling situations, time management situations, indecision, lack of confidence, lack of accountability. It's been health. And even with their injury reports, they've still managed to play some great football. That's inspiring for me. That's exciting for me. Because once this injury report in Tampa Bay got a little gloom and doom, nobody mm-hmm. knew what to do with themselves. So this is an OC that I would trust to see a Kate Otten have a performance like he did versus the Falcons the first time and be I, like, yeah, let's it. get this guy more involved. I don't think <laughs> right. he's going to his feet on a situation. He's going to try right. it. He's going to give it that opportunity. He's going to let them know if they succeeded or screwed up on the sideline or maybe in practice the next day. And he's going to adjust. There was no adjusting with this team. It was like, let's go out and do the same song and dance and maybe something will happen. And I can't watch another season of maybe. Bless you. My other thing with OC Dan Pitcher is the fact that you also mentioned, you know, that one-two punch similar to what the Bengals were running with the running backs. Love that because if you remove that whole competitive pit against each other BS that was going on with the Bucks when it comes to Leonard Fournette, Rashad White, and Keyshawn Vaughn when they decided to throw him in, Gio Bernard when they decided to throw him in, does Bernard and Vaughn know their role? Yes. 
are Leonard Fournette and Rashad White completely different running backs, in my opinion? Yes. Having this pitting against each other thing where it's like, well, who's going to be running back number one? Who's good? Who's it going to be? Who's it no, be? that's short-sighted. That's yeah, that's short-sighted because if the best thing to me in the NFL to have is a combination at running back, one who excels in one thing, one who excels in the other. The best running teams in the NFL have that. Eagles, Cowboys, Ravens, like, like name name them. They, the best running right. teams in the NFL you think there was this that. weird situation going on with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard? Ezekiel Elliott has been the one over there forever. He is a very dominant running back within his means of his strength and, and so on and so forth, where Pollard was different in, in, in his elusiveness, his footwork. There was differences, mm-hmm. and the team used them you know, how they needed to. I mm-hmm. felt like there was too much pitting and conversation going on between Fournette and, and Rashad White. Look, Fournette signed a three-year deal before the season started. He's here. He's in Tampa Bay. He's hanging out. Rashad White is a rookie who's they're trying to figure out how he fits here. So there's the running back situation that you mentioned. I would love to pull the competitive nature of that, have it actually have a realistic plan for both of these guys. Tight ends. I have said it since training camp, and I will keep screaming it from the hills. The tight ends need to be involved. We're talking about a sport that not only used to have a very specific role for tight ends, but used to have this thing called a fullback. I don't know how you go from having a fullback, pull him out of the game plan for most teams. Then you have these tight ends that you choose to barely use. Like this organization, the Bucks specifically, when Jameis Winston was at quarterback, the tight ends were important. And you're talking about a guy like Jameis Winston who maybe didn't completely need tight ends but they use them. I would love to see an offensive coordinator come in and actually utilize the tight ends, actually draft quality tight ends. Use that hybrid monster that can help Mm -hmm. your team. The tight ends didn't exist this season. That was stupid. And you got to know your personnel. Tom Brady excels when he has not just one tight end, but multiple tight end packages. Our Super Bowl year, it's multiple tight end packages with with Gronk and Cam Brate. All his successful years in New England, that's multiple tight end packages that they were using Utilize his play action, yep. all that. You got to do that. Let's look at what Dan Pitcher was able to do with the Bengals in their situation. The worst offensive line situation in the NFL for the past three seasons. And it really hadn't hindered them that much. You've seen them kind of operate right. around it for so long. And a lot of people credit that to Joe Burrow. And you probably have to. He's done an amazing job. But you also have to mm-hmm. give a little bit of credit to the offensive coordinator and the play callers to be able to scheme around that and, and kind of, kind of yes. allow Joe Burrow to operate around that. And that's what the Bucks, probably one of their biggest, if not their biggest bugaboo this season, was health and production from their offensive line. If you get an offensive yep. coordinator who's coming from a similar position, and and by the way, just with more success with more success, and just coached Tom Brady's former offensive lineman and Alex Kappa. So, so I'm sure there's some kind of hey, this is what we this is what we did at Tampa. It worked. So if you remember that, like oh yeah, Alex told me that. You know, Tom like this, or they did this here. I can bring that back over. So it's just that mm-hmm. it, not only the experience in the NFL, but experience in a similar type situation. I love that. I, I think that's great for Dan Pitcher. Yep. But to bring it all the way back to the candidates case, I do have a list of the, the top candidates for the Buccaneers right now are Jim Bob Cooter, Clint Kubiak, and Keenan McCardell. Bucks fans will recognize Keenan McCardell, a good wide receiver for the Bucks. For a little bit, but you have Clint Kubiak, who comes from good pedigree, Gary Kubiak. You have Jim Bob Cooter, who hasn't been an OC for a long time in this league, but has spent a lot of time in this league and right now is a running backs coach. And then you have the familiar face and Keita McCardell, who's right now a wide receiver coach as well. So that'd be three upgrades, three guys who are possession coaches that are upgrades, but in their all and all of their own right. 
have somewhat mm-hmm. of quote unquote experience in this league. Maybe not so much experience as an OC, but Keenan experience in this league as a player and a position coach experience with the Buccaneers. Clint Kubiak, his father is Gary, so spent so much time in and around the NFL. The NFL, you know that, and Jim Bob Cooter, who is who's a name in this league. Mm-hmm. So th- those are the top candidates to come from OC. So if it's not Dan Pitcher, it could be one of those three. And I do think there are worse. I do think there are worse names. I do think there are worst options for <laughs> the Buccaneers to go. I, I really do. I really do. Um, you know, you're, you you did mention the pedigree and and the experience that these guys can have, regardless of how much time they have either had at, at offensive coordinator at one point or never having that at all. Um, while while uh, Keenan Markell sounds like you know this could be cool. When it comes to experience conversation, no, I hear you. Um, there's no, a there's it. a guy who's coming in for an interview today. Bucks fans, Jolly Rogers, and touchdowns fans, and that is uh, Todd Munkin coming in for his interview. He did sit down and have an interview with the Ravens for the OC position there, but there's still a lot of steam surrounding the conversation of he's been with the Bucks before. He wasn't really with a head coach that was going to allow him to have the freedom to run the team as he should, or the offense, not the team. Um, and if there's any sort of synergistic energy between him and Todd Bowles, Munkin could be a great fit. He's been with Georgia since 2020. Um, he does have a lot of college experience. So if I had to pick something that would concern me with Munkin is how much of his game planning uh, will actually translate from college to the NFL. A lot of fans did like what he tried to get going here with the Bucks. Um, like I said, the most resounding feedback that I've gotten when it comes to Munkin is that he was not given an opportunity to just run the offense like he wanted he to. Uh, yeah. It was the fact that Coder was like very stifling and wanted everything done his way. I think yeah. what's very clear here is that Todd Bowles wants to trust somebody in this position. He doesn't want to be having to you know, tap in and keep splitting his attention across the way. He wants a guy in there who, who whom he can trust to run things uh, so he can focus elsewhere. Or not focus yeah. elsewhere, but, you know, expand his focus to the team as a whole, not, you know, a rebuilding offense. So you look at you, – you, you mentioned Tom Munkin being at Georgia. And, one, you got to look at Georgia's offense and, and just their team being one of the best college football programs of all time in the past two years. You're like, okay, if someone's a part of that, especially the offense, we could do well. Mm-hmm. To me, Todd Munkin doesn't signal the extension of the Brady era. Todd Munkin, to me, is is one of the few indicators the Bucks would give of a moving forward, moving to a, a new era. Because yes, Tom Munkin is a familiar face, but he's been operating a a college offense. And Georgia runs mm-hmm. a pretty pro style of offense. Georgia doesn't run a, a simple offense, but it's still on a college capability. And do you really want right. someone, would Tom Brady really want someone who's been running a college offense for the past couple of years to now come in and, and run his NFL style of offense? And in that same vein, you see a lot of, a lot of Buccaneers faithful the people who aren't on the keep Brady train are on the, you know, tank for Caleb Williams trade. I forget what they're calling it. I've, I've <laughs> win winless for Williams or something like that. But but it's like, oh, wow. you know, if Caleb Williams stays a, at USC for one more year, you know, which he could, or if he does come to the draft, let Tom Brady walk. Hopefully, Caleb Williams falls to where the Bucks are in the mock draft, and you take Caleb Williams and we move forward with him. To me, if we go with Todd Munkin, I can see I. Wouldn't be surprised if the Buccaneers then went that lane. Then 
told Tom, we have a new offensive coordinator. We're moving in a new direction. You know, go, go ahead and go ahead and go to your going to be the team moving on from Tom. I think Tom's moving on because either, he's got better options. If either, either, either way, it would it, then in that logic, it would be the Buccaneers no longer asking Tom to stay, no longer pleading Tom to stay, no longer kind of creating the situation in which he should stay. It's the acceptance mm-hmm. of, all right, you're leaving, turn the page, new era with Todd, new era with a new quarterback and all, all this. That's what I that's what I would see if the Buccaneers went with Todd Munkin, which, by the way, Jolly Rogers and Touchdowns fans, I'm still not in favor of. Like I could, yeah, that's just where I, that's just what I see the results of, of what happens. That doesn't mean I'm in favor of it because I'm not, but if it goes that way, that's what I see. That's what I see happening. You're also still crossing your fingers for Brady, but you know, 2023 is <laughs> the year of a lot more positivity and that was meant to rhyme. So kind of on that note, um, that kind of brings us to uh, the most important conversation that we'll have in this off season, which is mock drafts and drafts, uh, potential candidates that would be good fits for the Bucks. Um, I still don't, again, I still don't know if we can call this a rebuild, but I'm, I'm hoping we'll have more information in the next few weeks here. Once they solidify their OC, we'll have an idea of what, where everyone's leaning. But the first mock draft has been released, um, mock 1.0. Uh, it's all over, it's everywhere, but you can also pull this one from the Bucks website specifically. Now out of five takes for the mock draft and who potential fits would be for the Tampa Bay Bucks, I'm just going to riddle them all off, James, and then I'll get your opinion. Uh, Dan Jeremiah, who's obviously one of the top mock draft guys out there, has uh, cornerback Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State as a fit for the Bucks. Chris Trapasio has tight end Michael Mayer, not Michael Myers, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame. Uh, Damian Parson has cornerback Kelly Ringo from Georgia. I like his name. Mm-hmm. Um, or Keeley. I may have spelled that wrong. Keeley Ringo. Uh, Mike Keely, Renner yeah, has Keely Edge. Ringo. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. my, my auto type decided to put Kelly in. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, my apologies, guys. Uh, Mike Renner has Edge Miles Murphy from Clemson. And then Kevin Borba has tackle Broderick Jones from Georgia. Love the name Broderick, by the way. Mm. So between the positions, uh, maybe even between the schools, what are your thoughts on these top five uh, thoughts, picks for Mach 1? So, Casey, we talked about we think the Buccaneers' biggest need or their first priority need should be to address, if you're going to go in the draft, address the trenches is address the offensive line, address the defensive line. Um, because that's one thing where I think if you kind of hit it in the inside, it, it helps your perimeter players on both sides of the ball kind of helps them a little bit more. We know time couldn't operate without an offensive line this year right. and the lack of physicality on the defensive line, the lack of push in the passing game or pass rush, the lack of stoppage in the run game didn't really allow our defense to do much else on the back end. So I yeah. love the I love the mock drafts of the O-linemen, the D-linemen. I like the tight ends too because I think the tight ends can be used in those kind of pass blocking situations, good outlet for for Tom Brady and we we just know the Bucks offense operates better when you have a good versatile tight end in there. And you know, we took some hits at tight end this year. Can't hurt to to have a little bit of depth at that position. Yeah. I don't know if I want to go first round tight end. That would be kind of tough to spend our first round pick on a tight end. <laughs> But you see, um, when you talk about Keely Ringo, you talk about the best, probably one or two best defensive backs in the country this past year in college football. 
And I don't mind that pick. If you're going to go after that would be the name pick where the Buccaneers mm-hmm. sit. Um, like the fit pick would probably be the trenches. The name pick would go in getting Keely Ringo. And that would be an, a, a, a choice that'd be okay going away from the trenches. Cause then you go and you kind of get some juice back to your defensive backfield. Um, Okay. You go and kind of put a guy who's a ball hawk, a very physical corner, and he's big for a cornerback. So maybe you mm-hmm. can kind of slide him into that, you know, maybe that nickel spot, that hybrid corner safety spot, and have him be a, a good slot corner. You have him go and match up with the tight ends who, on the defensive side of the ball, the Buccaneers were really bad at covering tight ends in space. We know that Devin White and Levante David aren't the best coverage linebackers in the league. So when you had that matchup on a tight end and hurt us, Keely Ringo, you stick him on a tight end. He's big enough to guard a tight end. He's fast enough to guard a receiver. He's smart enough to play in multiple spots in the defensive backfield. I, w- I would love that pick if it's not the trenches going and get Keely Ringo. Oh, by the way, from Georgia where Todd Munkin just was. So, you know, you, you get a little bit of familiarity with that too. So the, the name right. Keely Ringo jumps out to me. I, I, I do love that. But if not him, Go and go and get some go and get some guys who don't mind sticking their hands in the dirt, man. That, that's what I want. Yeah, I mean the, that picture that you just painted probably sold a lot of fans on getting Keely Ringo. But um, as you mentioned, the conversation that we had prior to the show was the fact that I somewhat hate all of this because the reality of it doesn't doesn't feel fitting. Number one, number two, thinking of the cap space situation is kind of problematic as well because you've got guys like Carlton Davis who just signed to a pretty fat contract Carlton Davis has to take that next step he has to get his hands on balls and be able to reel them in um and to be honest I wasn't sure if Carlton Davis was going to be a priority re-sign in the offseason I know it's going to be a priority discussion I didn't know if he was going to make it all the way through that's a lot of money that just went that way for a Mm. guy who needs to take the next step then you've also got the fact that while they need tight end depth You've got trainable guys. You've got guys yeah. who showed up for you this season that are rookies in Koki and Kate Otten. I wouldn't put any more money towards a tight end position unless they're moving on from Cameron Brate. And at that rate, you need a veteran tight end. Um, it also depends on the OC because are we going to get an offensive coordinator that sees what Kate Otten did this year, sees what what where the growth can be in his offseason, and then decides, hey, we're just going to fully back this kid and let him be you know, our tight end one. Fans were tweeting for him to be the tight end one after that Falcons game. If that's the case, no more money needs to go into the tight end position because you've got Co'Keefe, who's more of a hand-in-the-dirt tight end. They they used him to help alleviate and blocking in many instances. He had some great games. He had some not-so-great games. He has an offseason to get that much better. I like what he did in his first season and where he could potentially go. So, yeah, no more money for the tight end position for me. No more money towards the cornerback position just yet, or at least not at you know the top two rounds. Those top two rounds have to go – to your offensive line and your pass rush. The pass rush fell off so much. When I look at the Mm -hmm. age of half of the guys on the defense and some of the guys that are in contract years, we've got a lot of people not coming back or maybe not worth the investment. That's scary to me because defense can't fall off. Defense has been the biggest contributing factor to keeping the Tampa Bay Bucks in any conversation realistically. They were able to do their job on the field and that helped this offense tremendously. So when you think of Volante David being a contract year, when you think of Akeem Hicks probably going, when you think of Shaq Barrett, you know, where's he at within his contract conversation? Where's he at with his health? Then you look at, okay, well, there's JTS. Nobody trusts Carl Nassib and Anthony Nelson to take that next step in their career. So there's just too many question marks when it comes to that D-line, that edge, and then 
you know, before you even get to the secondary. So I agree with you when it, when it comes to the priority needs to be hand in the dirt first. Um, but then that also starts with offensive line for me. Your second string guy was not even close to what anybody wanted to see step to the line and try to help anybody, whether it's Tom Brady or any quarterback, you know, yeah. and then to see how many third and fourth string situations this team was in, and then to lose those third and fourth stringers to injuries. I don't want people coming back from injury, coming onto this line and helping either sell Tom Brady on staying or protecting the next guy that has to be in the pocket. I need this offensive line to get back up to a standard and that standard doesn't revolve around Ryan Jensen at the center and Tristan Wirfs. You can't have two top guys on your line and expect, you know, miracles to happen. You've got to have a little margin for error there and be able to trust what's coming up mm -hmm. next. Luke Gedeke, he has to have a massive offseason before we can even discuss him not having some competition at whatever position they're going to put him in on the line because he didn't really get a chance to perform. I think he was thrown in too early, which can hinder the development of a lot of guys. So that's why I'm not ruling him out entirely yet. They got to start with the offensive line. They got to start with their pass rush before they even touch secondary. Talk about tight ends. I agree. Or add to the wide receiver room. Unless there's health issues we don't know about, stop it. Just start, stop it. We got to start. We got to go back to the foundation. We got to go back to the drawing board, go back to the whiteboard of what made us a Super Bowl contending team. And no pun intended that the foundation is the foundation. You got to start with the big guys in the middle. And Casey, yeah. let's, let's talk about. Like if, if the Buccaneers offense comes back offensive line, if and when they come back healthy next season, you got three guys who not only are great, but Tom Brady trusts in right. Ryan Jensen, Tristan Wirfs, and Shaq Mason. You add one more component to that offensive line, one good more high draft pick. And now you automatically magically go back to probably having a top five to six offensive line in the league. And it's, like it's that's cool nowadays. Like it wasn't always cool to draft <laughs> offensive linemen and be known as like having the greatest offensive line in the league. Like remember when the Cowboys did it for like five straight drafts? They picked the linemen in the first round. Yeah, and I used was to like, be the, was, like, girl the most with the notebook. I used to be the girl with the notebook before every draft, like making mock draft after mock draft after mock draft. I'm not gonna mm -hmm. lie, I used to be annoyed because I used to have to memorize you know, offensive line positions and go check their ratings and go check their schools and go check their stats to kind of get that yeah. idea of who's coming off the board first or second, because it's usually, you know, a tackle or somebody on the O-line or somebody on the D-line. then you get to that number eight spot and you're kind of back to the O-line. So yeah, it used to, I used to be that person who would complain. And then I realized, no, this is cool because it's very no, necessary. It's extremely it's crucial. Very the Cowboys did it for like five, six years. Everyone's like, they're really boring in their draft. And then magically after all that was said and done, they had the best offensive best line, line running for three, four years. And it carried them to 13, 12, 11 win seasons. Um, so like, it's, it's cool to have the best offensive line in the league. Like, and, and I want <laughs> to go back to, to having that. I want to be known as one of the best offensive lines in the league. And then in that same vein on the other side of the ball, the Buccaneers have never been one of the best defensive secondaries in the league. But when they were winning Super Bowls and NFC championships and division titles, we had the best run stoppage in the league. And sometimes it wasn't even close. It was by far. And you know what right. allows a secondary is not the greatest is when you put the offense in third and 12, second and 13. You get them behind the sticks and force them to pass. The more times you force pass the ball, the more 
the more opportunities there are for interceptions, especially when it's long distance, when I have to throw the ball 20 yards down the field and I don't just yep. get myself at a third and three where a five-yard completion gets me a first down. That's what helps a secondary is when you have such mm-hmm. a good run game where you're putting teams in these must-pass situations and now I'm putting them in bad scenarios and I can go get my hands on the football again. So, like, yep. I think if we – Focus on that for a draft. Get back. I don't think it takes us that long to get back to that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. You I look agree. at some names in this draft. You got, got guys like Miles Murphy out of Clemson who had 62 QB pressures last season and in the season before. Like dominant yep. guys on the defensive line who could really, you know, wreak havoc and go back in, in there with guys like Vita Vea and maybe Akeem Hicks if we bring him back. So I just think yep. that's where the focus should be at least in the first round, maybe the first two. And then you can go and get your splash players, go and get your yeah. running backs, go and get your, your wide receivers. But let, let's get some some big guys in the middle in those first big rounds. Like I just think that's where we should go. No, couldn't agree more. And honestly, while – and guys, I'm not taking away from the conversation of the, the referee calls this past weekend and all the other topics that surround the championship games – but the focal point here is look at what guys like Hassan Reddick and Chris Jones did. When you have somebody who can wreak havoc like that, even Sam Hubbard for the Bengals, you know, Hubbard was a driving force for the for the Bengals to have any sort of conversation of them having a decent defense. Mm-hmm. It started with Hubbard. So when you have that pass rush attack, when you have that pressure, when you can force mistakes, just as you said, it gets you to the end of the season and then some it helps with your longevity it helps make you a scary team and sometimes it takes one and this team has some quality quality um assets that can they can thrive off of somebody who can just come in and wreak havoc absolute havoc which brings us to one of our one of our little closing points we started this on the last episode of jolly rogers and touchdowns we said that we were going to uh close out the rest of this list on the next one. And we'll move pretty quickly through this, James, as we both have um, other things to run off and do in this crazy sports world that we love so mm-hmm. much. We love, um, it. we love it. We absolutely love it. Um, we've got some free agents, not some, we've got a lot of free agents on the, I don't want to say chopping block. That kind of feels a little extreme. It's not like I don't like these guys, but we've got some guys on the chopping block. Um, we discussed Tom Brady coming or going, Levante David coming or going, or I should say keep him or leave him because it's me and James's opinion here. Keem Hicks, mm-hmm. Julio Jones, Will Ghosting, Nacho, um, Kyle Rudolph, Sean Murphy Bunting, Aaron Stinney, and I think we left off with Josh Wells. I'm going to pop up to one that I don't recall if we talked about, but either way, we can make this nice and quick. Blaine Gabbert, because if Tom Brady does or does not come back, Blaine Gabbert has been a consistent, solid QB too. I actually did like a lot of things regarding Blaine Gabbert's game when he was the quarterback for the Jaguars. Um, I know there's some mixed reviews there. I think he's good enough to get the job done. I like that he's not afraid to be mobile if he has to be, and he actually has such speed on the ball. Um, Blaine Gabbert, would you keep him or leave him? I've actually heard great things about Blaine Gabbert when it comes to off the field stuff. First of all, he was there for, he was there for Tom in the Super Bowl parade when Tom had a little bit of too much of that jalapeno tequila. It was all over the place. <laughs> and, jalapeno tequila. Yeah, and, and Blaine and Blaine was right there to kind of get his QB one off the boat and into the building. That's just, you can't ask for much more from a backup QB right there. And if that's not a microcosm yeah. of it all, it's like, he's got his, his QB ones back. 
Um, but, it, but in all seriousness, they, a lot of people have talked about Blaine's preparation, um, how mm-hmm. smart he is at the quarterback position, and how well he knows how to prepare his QB1 and be there and see the field for him. And for a backup right. quarterback, I'm not just worried about if you can step up and keep the ship afloat. Can you help your quarterback one in, in his reads and his preparation and helping you know, see where his game lies and where it's falling, you know, kind of short from a sideline perspective and help him when he comes to the sideline? Can you be that good asset as a backup quarterback? And that's like that's a professional position to be a backup right. quarterback. It's, it's important. So Blaine does that well. I, I don't I don't think it's the easiest to find guys who can embrace that backup role like that and know where they are as a backup quarterback. So in that terms, I mean, if it's for a cheap price tag, if Blaine's not asking for something crazy, yeah, keep him, man. He's been here for he's been here for you know X amount of years at this point. So might as well right. keep him in house. Yeah, and you said something very important there, James, which is the fact that he takes that he takes that backup role seriously, but he makes the most of it as well. He doesn't mm. find the prep work with helping the QB one. He is reliable, in my opinion, when he goes in for QB two, and I think an overall his his off the field characteristics speak highly to what he can do for this team on the field. So, love that perspective. Um, I'm pretty sure this one's a shoe in for the out, but Gio Bernard, do you leave him or do you keep him? Um, Gio was a, was a rental just to get some running back depth because they saw like, you know, Leonard Fournette was banged up, um, in the preseason coming in and Rashad white was kind of our only, you know, steady running back. So Gio was, you know, comes in as a, as a veteran to help in the passing game to help as an outlet. But then Gio saw the field only on special teams by the end of the season. And Gio's mm-hmm. last play was a costly one <laughs> was, you know, was, a, know. you know, was, wasn't, wasn't the greatest moment that Gio had was a penalty. So, you know, I, I would, I would <laughs> yeah. say leave, like I've always been a, a little Gio Bernard fan, even when he was with the Bengals, right. You know, he kind mm-hmm. of, his the end of his time was the beginning of Joe Mixon's time, but I loved like Gio has done a lot of good things for a long time in this league. But yeah, I just you know what I mean. I just don't think his services are, are really necessary anymore here in Tampa Bay. But I, I appreciate well, him for for being a, a veteran in this league. You know, yeah, and that's the biggest thing there is he has done a lot in this league. I think because of where his career is at right now, it's it's pretty forgotten the the driving force that Gio Bernard once was. If he was healthy and was able to stay healthy, I'd say keep him for the depth. And especially if there's a potential for OC from the Bengals to come over this way. Um, It's his health. He's just constantly been banged up. The chest injury that he has had has felt like a recycled injury, which tells me, you know, he's never been able to get to 100%. And if you can't get to 100%, we need guys who – we're not waiting to put them on the injury report week after week. So Gio respect you, bud, but um, it's time to move on. Keanu Neal. I was really excited about this pickup because first of all, I watched him at university of Florida, even though boo Gators don't be mad at me. Fans um, did watch him at yeah, university of Florida. Loved his play there. I love the fact that he can be versatile. Is he strong in every single category of versatility, maybe not, but he's he's effective. Maybe not efficient, but effective, which is cool because you can try some some different things. You can rely on him a little bit and then kind of bring him back in. With all of that said, as a strong safety, I like the fact that he's a heavy hitter. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that we started to see some of that this past season. I definitely wanted to see a lot more, but health permitted off season 
staying within a certain system, we could see another step out of Keanu Neal. So I personally would like to see him come back. Um, and I would like to see him have a hell of an off season to become a bigger piece to the, to the, to the Bucks defensive puzzle. I am all in on keeping Keanu Neal. Keanu Neal is a dog. Yeah. And maybe I just have some PSD for what he used to do to the Buccaneers when he was on the Falcons. <laughs> like, Keanu Neal used to be a nightmare to play against mm-hmm. if you were if you Buccaneers fans remember him playing all those years in Atlanta because he knows how to put a hat on somebody. And for a defensive secondary who was kind of insecure in itself a little bit, like right. you know, a team who kind of knew what they had in the past but wasn't seeing that from their defensive secondary, I think it made them a little bit timid. And there's no timidness in Keanu Neal. Does it sometimes lend itself to some penalties? And we saw him collect some dirty laundry this season. He's going right. to have to shore that up. But I need a dog. I need someone who's like, regardless of what the score is, if someone's coming across the middle, you're going to feel me. And, and that yeah. that kind of that, that gives a little bit of, of confidence, a little bit t- of a tenacity to your defensive secondary and a defensive secondary who's young, right? Our leader is Carlton Davis, who, you know, barely getting off a rookie contract. So it's, you know, exactly. I love a veteran statesman back there. Like you said, a guy's a heavy hitter and it's, it's a mm-hmm. dog. Like Keanu Neal's name kind of still holds weight in this league. And I want a wide receiver or a tight end when they're going across the middle to remember like, oh crap, Keanu Neal's back there. Let me, let me tread lightly. Me. Yeah, let me tread lightly. Let me not go up all the way for this ball because if I do, he going to punish me. And I don't think we have many. We don't have many guys back there. I like that, so I'm I'm keeping yeah. Keanu. And one thing that I do want to clarify on my whole rant about his versatility, I I meant that in the fact that when he went from the Falcons to the Cowboys and they they moved him to basically a linebacker at the Cowboys, the yeah. weight that he had yeah, to put on, what he had to study to be functional in that position. Mind you guys, he came back to a system where he was placed as a strong safety. So you're talking about cutting weight. You're talking about you know, getting reacclimated to your original state, your original position, mm-hmm. and you're doing it with a new team and a new system. I say, and I think confidently that remaining in this system, going into year two of understanding the system that much better, playing within your original role, he can get back to that full blown thumper that the Bucks could totally utilize. So I agree. We're both all in with the thumper. Um, Rashad Perriman, this can be quick, keep or leave him. Look, I was a Paramount fan, but leave, uh, keep him. No, get rid of him. No, you got to keep him. Brashad barely sees the field every year. But when he does, he makes a weirdly big play every time. You remember? One out of the 17 catches that he draws. I, no, I, I, I don't have time. I, I hear you. I hear you. If our, <laughs> if our wide receiver room didn't get hurt and leave the field all the time, I'd say leave him. But we got a guy in Chris Godwin who is kind of in and out the lineup a little bit. Mike Mike Evans, even himself, picks about three games, not picks, but there's about three games, four games in each season that he misses too. And Brashad Perth, for what it's worth, this will be his third, fourth year at the Buccaneers now. He's got a rhythm down with Tom Brady. Tom Brady talks about his his steadiness and how he just likes how he's a smart receiver and knows where to go on the football field. And I haven't seen many people make a game-winning play on this Buccaneers team in the past couple of years. And Brashad got a couple of them. So, hey, as long as I don't put too much stock in Brashad Perryman, I know who he is. Hopefully he doesn't have to be too big of a role. But if he's my wide receiver, 5'6", I'm cool with that. the depth that he brings to kind of just hold it down for a couple of games until I get my you know normal wide receivers back. I'm not putting I too much say, stock in him, Case. I'm you know I don't want him catching I, six seven I, balls I a it. game, 
but, but you know, he, he can stay around. He can stay around. I get it. I was, I was very much in full defense, like wave the Paramount flag. I was all about this guy over mm. at Peter Port. Do I think he's talented? Absolutely. But he's too inconsistent. And to be, you can't be inconsistent and unhealthy. And that's the biggest thing that's, that plays against yeah, Rashad yeah. Perriman is bro. that when he does, he, he can't get into a rhythm because by the second game that he's given a chance, he's got a hamstring, he's got a knee, he's got a thing. His health is so impossible to just have consistent on top of, you know, he'll drop two passes, he'll make a beautiful big pass or big catch, and then, you know, kind of be silent so you can't be inconsistent and unhealthy and that's why you know i'm telling you this hurts me to say it anybody that's seen me on pewter report knows i was all about this guy i also called his overtime catch last season like look and as of somebody who went to ucf for a hot second all about it he's got to go um (laughs) logan ryan that's a big one that i wanted us to get to um logan ryan another guy very versatile very effective he also couldn't really stay healthy but when he's in the feed off that him and Antoine Winfield Jr. have off of one another has been you know apparent for one effective for another we just didn't get to see it much at all this season because there was never a time consistently where both of those guys were in the game especially once Mm. you got past week four and also, you talk about Logan Ryan's not a traditional safety, right? He's a cornerback moved to safety in a Buccaneers defense. So that does take a little bit to kind of get acclimated to. But you're right, Case, when he was in there, the Buccaneers defense for the first, you know, four or five weeks were a turnover machine. They were getting two, maybe three turnovers a game. And we accredit a lot of that to Logan Ryan in the beginning of the season. It just health is a priority and if Logan Ryan mm-hmm. really can't stay healthy at all that's going to be really tough you know to keep him but I, I am I'm am in favor of what Logan Ryan did for this defense for what he can do and he checks kind of a lot of the same boxes except the hard hittingness that Keanu Neal does and the sureness in the back end allowing our other guys to do other things yep. but I, I think the reason he compliments Antoine Winfield so well is he allows um Antoine to be that box safety to his roaming safety in the back. It allows us to kind of bring Antoine Winfield up either in run support or in blitzing packages. So he's not covering so much in the back end and we can leave that to Logan Ryan, who's much more of a coverage safety than Antoine is a box and tackle and run support safety. So we have him back there because Keanu Neal is not a roaming safety either. Keanu Neal is a middle of the field kind of, you know, punishing right. safety to hit you. Mm-hmm. Logan Ryan is that roaming safety to go get his hands on the ball. And, and you know, we don't have He's the only that. guy who can really pull turnovers, but and, yet and, he wasn't in much. And it's funny because Mike Edwards in the Super Bowl year was a turnover machine, but a lot of his turnovers came in the backfield and came in the box. Like they didn't come in interceptions. Logan Ryan is the one safety we have where his turnovers come down the field with interceptions. And I think that's big. Mm-hmm. So I, I would like to have Logan Ryan back. Love that. Same same page per usual. And even if we weren't, at least we both have such passion. Rashad threw a wrench in our chemistry. I didn't expect Rashad Perryman to be the to be the the, the driving force between you know, us, Casey. That was that it's was always weird. something it's always never it's it's never gonna be obvious what's gonna no, throw a wrench the one between, you least between a pair. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, we're respectfully agree to disagree. We get With work. that, Jolly Rogers fans, um, we've got nine more free agents to go, but we will pull that over to the next Jolly Rogers and Touchdowns episode, along with 
the fact that all of those exciting bowl games for college athletes are going on as we speak, which means we will get better perspective on skills. Um, we'll get better perspective on potential placement in the NFL, and we will get that much more insight on mock draft round two. Maybe James and I'll have a little fun and pick our top three guys for the mock draft. But when we get back to the next episode of Jolly Rogers and touchdowns, we will break down those last nine free agents. We will get into the top standout guys in the bowl games, and we will kind of go over or start leaning into some potential college athletes that we think would be a good fit for the Bucks. And hopefully, hopefully we will have an OC named for you guys that we can talk about. That would be ideal. That would be the, the front runner for the conversation for the next episode of Jolly Rogers and Touchdowns. But as always, guys, we appreciate you. We love you. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about your favorite team. And I know it was a rough season, but they can still be your favorite team, especially OG Bucks fans. You know this feeling. We've never played football past yeah, say That's so ain't unfamiliar. That's ain't unfamiliar. Yeah, that's always something. Hello, uh, darkness, my old friend. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Or the, the Adele hello. Hello, it's I me. always just think of the Adele song. I know we're, mm -hmm. we're we should stop singing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, download the Odyssey app, search Jolly Rogers and Touchdowns, hit that auto download button so you can stay up to date on all of these episodes at Jolly Rogers and Touchdowns. And also, guys, to know when we're when we're getting new episodes up, when we have great guests coming on, and all of the excitement in the off season, follow us at Jolly Rogers TDS on Twitter as well as Instagram. It's another great way to stay up to date. And you can also find Jolly Rogers on any of your favorite streaming platforms, Apple, Spotify, and then some share with friends, family, football fans all around. I am Casey Hudson, once again joined by James Jackson. And thank you so much for joining us for a brand new episode of Jolly Rogers and Touchdowns. Stay jolly.